Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because uh, it makes me happy. Gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. Today's guest is Richard Capriola, author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Richard has been an addictions counselor for over two decades. In this episode, we discuss triggers, warning signs, what drugs kids are actually using the most, and this one definitely surprised me. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Um, I am so excited to have you on the show talking about your book. And before we get started talking about the book, can you just tell me a little bit about your background and, and what what caused you to gain interest in this topic? Sure. First of all, let me say thank you, Dana, for uh, hosting uh, this session and for inviting me to be here to talk about this important topic of adolescent substance abuse. I began in this field over two decades ago when I was in Illinois, and I worked for a regional mental health crisis center. Uh, And we were provided counseling to people who were sent to us from hospital emergency rooms. I noticed that a high percentage of them, in addition to having a mental health issue, also had a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois, obtained a master's degree in addictions counseling, continued to work at the the, uh, crisis center for a number of years until I was offered a job at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is a psychiatric hospital. It's one of the top 10 in the country. And I was hired to be an addictions counselor for both adults and adolescents. And I worked there for over a decade on both the adolescent unit and the uh, and one of the adult units, providing addiction counseling, addiction groups uh, to both adolescents and adults uh, who were diagnosed with a uh, substance use disorder. And I retired uh, from Menninger a little over a year ago and decided that I wanted to write this book as a resource for families and for anyone really interested in adolescent substance abuse, because so many of the parents that I met with, uh, when I would sit down with them and uh, go over their child's substance abuse history and their diagnosis, one of the most common responses I got from them was something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I knew there was something going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So I wanted a a resource that was not weighted down with a lot of technicalities, a lot of jargon. I just wanted it to be a a very concise uh, book that gives parents and anyone really interested in adolescent substance abuse the basic information and the resources they need to better understand this topic. And back to Menninger, because it's very famous. I totally know about that place. Were the, were the adults and the adolescents in the substance abuse part separated? Yes, uh, because in Texas, you cannot combine adults and adolescents. So uh, adolescents are on a separate treatment unit in a separate building. They have separate lunch time. uh, So they are not at all allowed to come into contact with one another. 
That's that's really interesting. And I think it's a good idea. My first treatment center, I was 16 years old and they separated the adults and the kids. But I was the only one in the adolescent ward who was there for non-behavioral issues. I was there for drug addiction. Mm -hmm. So they would let me go to group, you know, and I flocked towards the older people. because That's what I always like to do. And I think I learned more bad things in there by being able to hang out, you know, with people in their 20s who didn't really want to be clean and sober. And I'm like, oh, that's where you buy that. Hmm. Just buy yes. away, you know. <laughs> so, you, so you learned a few things. <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally get why they why they would separate. Like yes. that totally makes sense. Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about about adolescent addiction. Okay. Um, so one of the topics that I know you wanted to discuss is what's the difference between adult and adolescent addiction. And I know um, for me, being an adolescent addict, I feel like I got worse way faster than adults do. I felt like it was way more progressive and bad things happened <clears throat> way more quickly. And I got way more addicted with not enough tools as opposed to somebody who starts like in their 30s. Yes, and I think there are two major differences between <clears throat> adult addiction <clears throat> and adolescent addiction. The first one has to do with brain development. Adolescents' brains are just not developed until we get around age 24 or 25. So their brains are in the process of developing. So when you begin to insert alcohol or drugs into a developing brain, you run the risk of doing more damage and you increase the likelihood that that child will become addicted to a substance even into adulthood. So the first big difference is brain development. Adolescent brain not developed, adult brains are fully developed, which means the adolescent carries a higher risk. The second difference between adult and adolescent addiction has to do with consequences. Most adults or many adults who are addicted to a substance have oftentimes faced consequences, sometimes catastrophic consequences. They may have lost a marriage, they may have lost a family, they may have lost a job, they may have been incarcerated. So these consequences are, are not little, they can be monumental, they can be catastrophic consequences. Adolescents, on the other hand, have faced very few consequences, very few catastrophic consequences. Their big consequence is their family restricting them or coming down on them or grounding them, but nowhere near the kind of consequences that an adult addict has faced in their lives. So two big differences, brain development, consequences. I see. And if, if it doesn't get you know, taken care of and if, if treatment doesn't happen soon enough, then those consequences will happen to the adolescent too once they progress, right? Yes, they will. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as far as your research goes, what would you say that the drugs are using um, the most today? You said I might be surprised about this. So I would <laughs> if I had to guess I would say Adderall or uh, Oxy. Well, those are not being used heavily. Uh, they are being used. You know, maybe three to five percent of adolescents are abusing <clears throat> a prescription type medication, either that they're prescribed or they're using it non-prescribed, things like Adderall and Ritalin. Um, marijuana and alcohol are still two of the most popular drugs being used by adolescents. But what is what may be surprising is that over the last three years, we have seen a surge of adolescent use of vaping, uh, vaping of marijuana, vaping of nicotine. For example, just in the last three years, 
marijuana vaping has gone from 9% of seniors to 22% of seniors. We have seen nicotine vaping go from roughly 18% of seniors to 34% of seniors. And that's just in three years. There has been a surge in adolescent vaping of nicotine and marijuana. Um, and it, it's really exploding in a way. Yeah, I remember they, they made a, a flavored vape ban in San Francisco because of the flavors like cotton candy and yeah. stuff. I've noticed like, because I vape nicotine, I've noticed like people like, oh, that smells so good. And I'm like, I don't want people to think this is a good idea. I did this to get off cigarettes. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. and a lot of adolescents are doing that too. They, they have the perception that it's safer. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not really safer um, from the standpoint that generally the, the, the vaping of nicotine carries a higher concentration of nicotine that you find even in cigarettes. But adolescents and, and even adults, I think, have the perception that uh, it's safer than cigarettes. And, and in a way it is because with cigarettes, you get the tobacco and hundreds of other carcinogens. You don't get that with the vaping. You just get pure nicotine. But the downside is you're getting higher concentrations of nicotine. Right. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that. <clears throat> I'm going to go on Chantix next month to quit. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I do it so much more than I ever smoke cigarettes. I never just sat there and chain smoke cigarettes all day. But like vaping, it's, you know, it doesn't make the house smell. It's easier. It's a crutch. It's a total crutch. Like I notice I do it when I pace. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's a, something I'm totally addicted to. Um, but the marijuana vapes, it's funny because regular nicotine vapes look the same. So you like, I never, I never know. I walk by people and I see them vaping. I never know. It could be marijuana. So it could I mean, be. You could totally do that and, and nobody would know because there's not really a smell because it's a little vape vent. Right. Or it looks like a USB drive, which is very convenient for students. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they look like. Yeah, I know people who use those. I've seen them. I've been like, wow, <laughs> I bet kids can get away with that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, so so now that takes away the warning sign of, oh, I smell smoke. You know, My mom had a nose like a hound. So when I started smoking when I was 14 or 15, she could smell. I'd come home, wash my hair, take a shower, brush my teeth. She'd still know I smoked. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like. So what warning signs would parents look for with these, with like the nicotine and the vaping? Well, I advise parents to look for changes in their child. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to any changes that you see in your child. Uh, they may be uh, a warning sign. And <clears throat> the kind of changes that I'm talking about are any type of behavioral changes, any type of academic changes, any type of personality disease uh, changes. For example, you might, you might have a child who used to participate in sports and no longer likes sports, no longer participates. You may have a child who uh, was introducing you to your friend, their friends, and you knew their friends. You may have even known their family doesn't do that anymore, um, <clears throat> become secretive, <clears throat> excuse me, of their, of their friends. You may have a child who is earning good grades, no longer is earning good grades. So pay attention to any type of changes in behavior, in appearance, in attitude. Those may be warning signs. They may be normal developmental changes too, but don't take them for a granted. Check into them and, 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 and look at them as being issues that maybe as a parent you want to check into a little further. Right. I know. And it's, it's got to be so hard to tell. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I just I know people who have kids and teenagers are just moody in general. 
You know, they'll, they'll have one mood one second and they'll be all like in a completely different reality the next second. And I know I was like kind of a depressive kid and my first drug of choice was speed. And I like hated class. I hated going to school. I always woke up late. It was just like pulling teeth for my mom to get me out of bed and, and into the car and go to school. <laughs> so I think my, my warning sign was all of a sudden, for the first time, my parents had never seen me do homework and my grades were awful. All of a sudden, I was staying up 24 hours a day studying. You know, yeah, like, that's oh, just not, that's, that's a signal. <laughs> yeah, no, that was like that. My dad always said, he goes, that's what really scared me is when you started doing homework. Yeah, that's not Dana. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not her at all. That's not my kid. So, yeah. So th- I definitely get that, that people should look out for warning signs. You just have to know your kid, I guess, you know, you like, have- be home and know your kid. You have to you have to be familiar with their routine, with their behaviors, with their habits. And when you see that something is changing and the more of those changes that you see, you know, if you begin to see two and then three and then four, the more of these changes that you see in your child, the more likely there is something underneath the surface that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so like, you know, say, say a parent notices all these changes, like say notice like they no longer know their kids friends. Or like you said, the the drug, the uh, grades have changed or there's no more sports involved. How do you how are they supposed to approach their kid without making the kid get angry and run away or lie and get defensive? Like, how do you approach? Because I was. (laughs) Well, I think you begin by trying to have a conversation with your child Uh, that may or may not go well. Um, it, it, a lot of, it depends on a lot of factors that have built in over time. But I think you should at least try to have a conversation with your child and, and not approach it from an accusation type of point of view or an accusing, you know, you do this, you better stop this, you're going to amount to nothing, blah, blah, blah. But rather try to have a discussion where you're trying to understand their point of view. You know, Dana, we're, we're very good at listening to people's words. We're not so good at listening to their feelings behind the words. And we can all learn that skill. Even as adults, we're not very good at it. Um, And I have some exercises in, in the parent workbook to help people with that. But the bottom line is you want to be able to listen beyond the words. You want to be able to listen to what your child is feeling behind the words. So I would say, Try to have that conversation. May not go well the first time or the second time. Uh, your child may be angry. Your child may be oppositional. Um, and, and, and ultimately, um, you're going to have to make a decision as a parent to get that assessment done for that child so that you as a parent understand what's going on beyond just the alcohol or the drug use. You will need a comprehensive assessment. And it, like, is it is it ill-advised or not to, because, you know, when the child is under 18, they're obviously under the parent's supervision. So I'm wondering, is it a good idea or a bad idea to play that card to say you either are going to get clean and sober or you're going to go to treatment or I'm going to put you in juvenile hall? I, I think it really depends on the seriousness of the situation you had. Now, the kids that I saw at Menninger, uh, they were, they were brought 
many times kicking and screaming to Menninger because they wanted no part of the assessment or the treatment, but it really was a life-threatening situation. Some of these young men and women uh, were severely depressed. Some of them were suicidal. Some of them had self-injury going on. So the parents really were getting desperate for, for getting their child into some type of treatment or some type of comprehensive assessment. Ultimately, you're going to have to get the assessment. You're going to have to have somebody do comprehensive assessments so that you get a complete understanding of what's going on with your child. That leads to a diagnosis. The diagnosis leads to a treatment plan. And you said that <clears throat> oftentimes the difference between substance abuse and, and mental health issues are not, are not properly recognized by, by people who are doing assessments. I think that's that's the case in a, in, in a lot of times because um, often underneath the surface, once you look past the alcohol and the drug use, and, and many parents struggle with doing that, they they want to focus on the alcohol, they want to focus on the on the on the drug problem, um, many times because they're scared or they they feel guilty, but once you look beyond that and you look underneath the surface, you may often find that there's an underlying psychological issue that's driving that child to use that substance. Right. And I mean, I know I definitely had those because <clears throat> once, I, once I took the drugs and alcohol away, I was really depressed. And I also think I was depressed before I started using, but it's like we, we talked about with using drugs with a developing brain. I know I fried some synapses and I did some things <laughs> that were damaging, you know, and I'm on antidepressants because of that. Um, you know, ch children are not much different than adults. We don't like ha having intolerable feelings or intolerable thoughts or memories. So when we have them, we're going to try and, and, and find a solution to them. And oftentimes we find that the solution is the alcohol or the drugs. And once we latch onto it and we find it works, then it sort of goes on from there. Do you find that more adolescents are, are doing drugs because there's an underlying mental health issue or is there an equal amount of them who just wanna quote unquote get high or party or whatever? I think that's certainly a, a part of it. There are a certain percentage of adolescents who are just doing it because uh, peer pressure, because they want to get along with their friends, or they just like the feeling of getting high. Uh, but, but I think there are also a large number of them who are doing it to medicate an underlying issue. And, and, and that's part of the purpose of a, of, of a comprehensive assessment to find out if that is in fact what's going on. And what can parents do to help their child when this happens besides just talking to them like what can they well, what can, is there anything they can do preemptively you know to avoid this from happening is there like are there any um special things that they can do i think or just in, is it already just in your genetics and you're you're going to do it anyway well, it's not necessarily in your genetics that you're going to do it anyway. Genetics is a component to addiction. You know, 40 to 60% of a person's vulnerability to addictions is, is purely genetics. So the rest of it is environmental factors. But I'm often asked by parents, you know, what, what can I do at an early age to protect my child? My child's not a teenager yet. They're seven, eight, nine years old, whatever. You know, what, what, what can I do to help them? And my response is start to develop that trusting relationship and those communications with your child. When we ask adolescents, 
what is it that keeps you from talking to your family or to your parents about issues that are bothering you? The number one answer that we get is a fear of being judged. They are afraid that their parents are going to judge them. So my advice is start to start to work on developing that that relationship with your child that develops over time where when you have a conversation with them, they feel that you as a parent are really listening to them. You're not just listening to the words, you're not lecturing them, you're not telling them what to do, but you are having a conversation with them that focuses upon you trying to understand where they're coming from, you trying to understand what their feelings and what their thoughts are. You go beyond the words and dig deeper to try and communicate and connect with them on a feeling level. Do you have any thoughts on the thing that some parents say? Because I know my parents definitely said this because they were trying to be cool and they were trying to have a trusting relationship with me where Anytime you want to do drugs, it's fine, but you have to do it here in the house. Like <laughs> if you're going to get drunk, you can do it here. Like, is that, and that was of course in the late eighties. Like, is that even a good idea to say that to your kids? That's, a, hor- like, that's, die. <laughs> that's a horrible idea. That's, okay? <laughs> that's a horrible idea because the research shows that when parents have that attitude, say about alcohol, oh, it's okay if you drink here, at least I know you're safe and I know where you are. Right. It, when we look down the road, we find out that those young men and those young women end up drinking more when they go off to college. Right, because they were allowed to, because they built up a tolerance, really. They built up a tolerance and they've also got it built into their mind that it can't be that bad. My parents let me do it. Right, That's so, it's, it's so sad that kids are more afraid of being judged than being punished. Like, I get it. You know, nobody wants their parents to dislike them or their families to judge them. But it, it, like the fact that they're more afraid of being judged than being punished says a lot, I think, about their mental health. And I think it says a lot that once the deep under underneath underneath it all underneath the surface, they have this feeling that they really want to be accepted by their parents. They want to be they want to not be judged. They want to be valued as being a person. And, 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 and they want that first from from their parents. I totally understand that. Yeah, that's how we all really feel. I think deep down under the anchor, there's always that. Thanks so much to Richard Capriola, author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Stick around for our next show where we go through his accompanying workbook and talk about some warning signs and what you can actually do. Thank you for listening. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.